On this episode, Sarah ruins our lives with the Tenth Kingdom. I'm wishing on a star to follow where you are. I don't know if we have the rights to that. And I wish on all the rainbows that I've seen. Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, a podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like. I am Jason Edwards. I'm Kelsey Goldman. And with us today, as always, but <laughs> really with us this time, like in a way she hasn't been for many, many moons, is Sarah Shepard. Hi. Producer. Executive producer, Sarah Shepard. Wife. Friend. 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 Wearer of rompers. Hey. <laughs> That's gonna, not for the listeners to know. I think I'm going to say your your name like um, Kat Dealey introduces Nigel on So You Think You Can Dance. Ooh. Executive producer, Executive Sarah Shepard. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. You, you make a funny little face yeah. like Nigel does. Well, his faces aren't funny. They're creepy. But he does make kind of creepy faces. But it's been creepy for so long that now it's funny. Uh. Like it's come back around again because you know it's not harmful. He's, he's completely powerless. <laughs> it's all just for show, you know? He's the only judge I like anymore, though. Anyway. I like Mary Murphy. I don't. She's loud. Because the judges judges are always Mary Murphy and then some random person who's not a dancer. Well, I mean, it used to be Jason Derulo who could dance. Yeah. And they had, like, a legitimate person to critique hip-hop routines, and now they don't. I mean, I honestly loved when Jesse Tyler Ferguson came on. And if he were a permanent judge... Totally okay with that. I actually thought Maddie Ziegler did a good job with the kids. Yeah, she did. I'm, anyway, this I'm, is not the <laughs> dance cast. I enjoyed having Jason Derulo on just because I enjoyed having the guy who performed the song Wiggle Wiggle <laughs> as a member of a panel, like, judging quality for anything. That's a, that's a hilarious thing to set up. I mean, he's a good dancer. He's a better dancer than he is a singer. There like, you go. <laughs> there we go. Well, that, that settles it. See you guys next episode when we take down America's Got Talent. <laughs> No, this episode we're talking about a thing that is very special to Sarah's life. It's a miniseries called The Tenth Kingdom, and it aired on NBC in the year 2000. Uh, It was written by Simon Moore, who wrote the Traffic miniseries, which was later adapted into Steven Soderbergh's Oscar-winning film, also called Traffic, but with a C instead of a K. Uh, Simon Moore also wrote Sam Raimi's Western movie, The Quick and the Dead, which is not really relevant to our discussion, but I like that movie a lot, so I thought I'd mention it. So, Sarah. Yes. Tell us, what is the premise of The Tenth Kingdom, and when did you first experience it? Okay, so The Tenth Kingdom, like Jason said, is a miniseries that aired on NBC um, now over 17 years ago. Oh. And it is, it's a retooling of grim fairy tales. And I've always been a big fan of retellings of fairy tales, though it may be because of the Tenth Kingdom. (laughs) Um, The loose premise of it is there is a father and daughter in New York City who, by a series of madcap events, end up in a fairy tale land known as the Nine Kingdoms. 
And um, the, the title of the show comes from people from that fairy tale land ending up in New York and claiming New York is the 10th kingdom. Um, so, yeah, that's the briefest summary I could possibly give of that. I'm not sure how much you want me to dig into it right now. I think or... um, important things to note are it's how would you say it was 10 or 12 episodes or six yeah, longer there were, episodes? There were there's five parts if yeah. you're watching it on the Blu-ray now, but it, it aired in smaller like hour and a half long chunks yeah. um, on NBC. So I guess that would end up with like probably seven or so and parts. It's, it's like a, a quest narrative. Yes. So on their quest, the father and daughter played by Kimberly Williams um, of Father of the Bride fame, I yeah. would say. That's what I know her from. And um, John so apparently Larroquette. she's now on Nashville. So that's Ooh. cool. Cool. And uh, John Larroquette of being John Larroquette and being awesome. John Larroquette, best known for his role on The John Larroquette Show. They are in New York City. They're just getting by, living their life. However, over in the fictional, well, not fictional, just the grim fairy tale world, because this is real <laughs> the life. The Nine Kingdoms. The Nine Kingdoms. Um, the heir to Snow White is visiting his evil stepmother in prison, and she escapes. Or she does not escape. Yo, she does escape. What am I doing? This is going to be a long thing. Um... <laughs> Anyway, anyway, the queen escapes. Queen turns the prince charm, prince uh, white into a dog, and that dog manages to escape through a magic mirror to New York City, where Tony and Virginia, the two main characters, are pulled into this whole world. And um, the other big character you need to know about is Wolf, played by Kelsey. Help me out because I can't remember Scott his name. Cohen. Yes, Scott Cohen of Gilmore Girls, Max Medina fame. Yes. Or, or other things, but that's, again, what I know him yeah. from. Yeah, I, I feel like for, for most 20-something females, that would probably be it. Um, Scott Cohen, it should be said, fully inhabiting the role of this <laughs> half-wolf, half-person character. Yes, because when the evil queen escapes, she releases him to go find the dog that has just ran away in New York, or wherever the dog ran away. She does not know that the dog went through the mirror to New York City. So when the dog ends up in Virginia and Tony's possession, they end up finding the dog, trying to help the dog, and end up running back through the mirror into the Nine Kingdoms. And then hijinks ensue to try to, uh, for them to try to get back to New York, for the dog to try to reclaim his role as Prince of the Kingdom, and for the queen to go about her evil machinations. And they travel through a magical fantasy world where they encounter many characters both familiar and not so familiar to fans of the grim fairy tales upon which the series is based. Yes. Can you paint us a word picture, as we like to say here on the podcast, of the first time you encountered this show? Um, I watched it relatively live when it aired in 2000. So you would have been 11? Yeah, I was in sixth grade. It came on at like 9 p.m. to 11 p.m., so we recorded it on the VCR and then would watch the tapes. It's like Sundays though, right? Um, Yeah, and that would make even more sense why I couldn't stay up and watch it, because if it was Sunday, it would definitely not be okay for me to be up till 11 um but no it's fine i was in middle school why would i stay up till 11 on a sunday night i watched a lot of it recorded on uh tapes from our vcr and i loved it the minute i watched it it was to me one of the best things that has ever happened on television um and that just continued my parents ended up we essentially watched and i I got cj hooked too i should say my brother cj also Dearly loves the Tenth Kingdom franchise. You have CJ on the show. Yes, I agree. Um, Ding. <laughs> but uh, 
we eventually destroyed those VHS tapes by watching them so much. So my parents bought us a. You're giving me a face like that's, that's not adorable. okay. Okay. <laughs> so our parents bought us like a VHS copy of it, like a you know professionally made one, and then we destroyed that. And so then I got because we watched it so many times. Okay, every time you say you destroyed them, <laughs> I'm just waiting to hear that you destroyed them in some sort of misbegotten ritual. No, just like you watch it so much it breaks. I used to fall asleep to the first Harry Potter movie, and I watched it so much on DVD that it like wouldn't play anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so then when that happened, now the Tenth Kingdom is on DVD, so my parents get that for me. I'm sure those DVDs are actually somewhere in this apartment right now. But we don't need to watch them anymore because now it's on Blu-ray. So I have owned it in various iterations. I have watched it over and over again. I have foisted it upon many of my friends over the years. And yeah, I probably should have just bought every copy that Kmart had and started handing them out to people. But uh, yeah, it's dear to me. i Kingdom Evangelist. I just dearly love it. How often have you foisted it upon people? <laughs> I had... I've gotten better about it because it... it it's not for everyone. I get that. Like, not everyone's going to be like, yes, I want to watch a seven hour or six and a half hour long series that's a retelling of the Grim Fairy Tales with like a slightly modern twist. Um, no, not everyone wants to do that. And I learned that with time. But there was a phase in college where literally everyone I became vague friends with, I was like, here, watch this. But see, you say that to me and I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. Let's yeah, do that. But I've gotten better about filtering down to people. <laughs> and now in this age of binging, which I feel like is much more real now than yeah. it was like in 2007 mm-hmm. and 8 when I was forcing people to watch six hours of TV at once, which now seems like, honestly, not that bad. No. Yeah. Yeah, because when we first, I mean, you were not, you know, you had not pared down your evangelism at this point, but when we first started dating... I want to say it was within a year of us dating. You like sat me down and made me watch all this. Oh yeah. And at the time, I was I was like, oh, you know, six and a half hours of television. What I can't deal with this. Yeah, we did it in parts. Like we didn't yeah, watch I, it all I, in one day. I couldn't even do it all in one day. <laughs> oh, I was so weak then. <laughs> so weak. Not like now. But now, now I'm strong. And when Netflix releases a new season of BoJack Horseman, it's it's done. <laughs> it's one day and it's over. I watched like. Eight to ten hours of TV today, just being hungover. Yeah. No, I, I watched nine episodes of iZombie and didn't think about it. I, the culture has changed, I feel like. And with that said, everyone listening, go home. Watch The Tenth Kingdom. Find a way. It's not oh, that long. She's back. It's that old Sarah. <laughs> but like I, the old I, Sarah is not dead. I just, I she can to... come to the phone right now. And she will tell you to watch The Tenth Kingdom. Old Sarah is alive and kicking. Um... <laughs> <laughs> But no, I, I had an experience in college where I, I made two friends watch it, and one of them liked it, and one of them, but not as much as I did, and then the other <laughs> one didn't like it, and then it was really uncomfortable. So it's just like, I learned the lesson about like, maybe it's not the first thing I force upon my friends. Like, Kelsey, we've now been friends for like multiple years, mm-hmm. and it took this long before I was like, hey, we should watch The Tenth Kingdom, because I, I wait a little bit now. It is available on Amazon. Oh, I there we go. you have to pay for it. Worth it. Worth every penny. Mm. How much is it? I don't know. You know how the Amazon app does that weird thing where you can't actually buy things oh. on it? But whatever the cost, it's not too high. Whatever the cost. <laughs> to watch Tenth Kingdom. What, you know, what be it worth a man if he should buy the Tenth Kingdom but lose his soul? Uh, a good deal is what it's worth. Yeah. A very good deal. Now well, then- go to Kmart and buy it for $5. <laughs> <laughs> 
on Blu-ray. Now that I've mangled that uh, uh, biblical reference. Uh, I did not get that that was a reference. <laughs> That's how bad it was. <laughs> Sarah, is there, you said you wanted to break down some of your favorite parts of the show real quick mm-hmm. so we can give people a better idea of why you love this show so much. Does anything come to mind right away? Um, well, I know Kelsey is already thinking about the thing she loves, but I'll go, I'll dig into mine first. So the, mm-hmm. my, one of my favorite things that happens in the show is there are three troll, I guess we can call them like mercenaries or something, who go into the 10th Kingdom, New York to try to find the dog. They're siblings. They're siblings. Three mm-hmm. troll siblings. Their They're... father. Their father <laughs> is the troll king, played by Ed, Ed O'Neill of Married with Children and Modern Family. And seeing Ed O'Neill in troll makeup to me is almost worth the price of admission. I think it's so great though because his character is actually like one of the most serious and like stoic characters in the whole series. <laughs> like he doesn't. There's not a lot of jokes. The Troll King doesn't make a lot of jokes. No, he just loves his shoes that make him invisible and killing people. Yeah. And I think it's, I when you're like, oh, Ed O'Neill plays him, I kind of expected him to be like funny or bumbling or something, but he's not. He is great, though. <laughs> he is great, though. But anyway, those, those Troll children, when they're in New York, they discover a couple making out in Central Park with a Sony cassette player. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's 2000. Because it's 2000. <laughs> and they pick up the cassette player the couple sees them. They knock the couple out with the cassette player, and then it starts playing uh, the Bee Gees' "Night Fever." <laughs> night Fever, Night Fever, and um, that becomes a running joke for like the first like three episodes of the series. The best part being, for my brother and I, at least, a line where they're trying to describe the Bee Gees to their dad. <laughs> They're called the Brothers Gib, and they speak of a fever that strikes only on Saturdays. <laughs> and to this day, that is one of my favorite things to quote whenever the Bee Gees are playing and Night Fever is on. And uh, I feel like it's only funny to people who have seen the Tenth Kingdom. But still, uh, to me, it's funny. And those those troll actors are really fun. And And like a lot of actors in this series, they truly commit to the thing they're doing, which I think makes the Tenth Kingdom so fun. I do want to point out that this this sort of brief interlude in the first part where the, the um, well, there's more to it than that, but when the trolls are, you know, sort of bumbling around Central Park, represents, like, basically the only part of the show where there's really, like, a crossover between the fantasy world and our world. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Virginia and Tony end up in the fantasy world. Mm-hmm. But uh, for, for a show which, in its uh, award-winning uh, opening title sequence, seems Emmy, to... Emmy-winning. Emmy-winning opening title sequence. Seems to promise a collision between fantasy and reality it doesn't really does not really fall through on that (laughs) it it that did kind of strike me because they say new york is the 10th kingdom and then like that only that one that first part really takes place in new york and we're not the 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 fate fate of the 10th kingdom is never at stake i think that comes from the fact that we will probably get to later and that this was supposed to be a series (laughs) and not a one-time event. yeah there was supposed (laughs) to be another one that one probably would have had more happening in new york though like I'll be honest, my least favorite part of it is the part in New York. Like, I'm ready for them to go into the Tenth Kingdom whenever I'm watching it. It doesn't really get moving until they go into the fantasy world. Yeah. But you guys, you want me to talk about more of my favorite things? Well, you Or do you guys want to throw in some of your favorite things first? Obviously, you know, I first saw this uh, when me and Sarah were in the, you know, the first throws of Young Love. (laughs) Almost made Kelsey spit take. <laughs> but um, Kelsey, you've just now seen it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were your, you know, what were your, what are your thoughts of it? What were your impressions of it? 
Um, it has that lovely, you know, um, early 2000s TV special effects, which are like, because they do a lot of practical effects, which is great. But also like some of the parts are just like, I'm like, this is so silly. <laughs> but like, I think it kind of makes it better because it is silly. For me, like Sarah and I have such a, a, a differing like opinions about this particular thing because her first encounter with Scott Cohen was as Wolf, in which he's he's a, a fairly likable character. Um, and mine are with him with him are on Gilmore Girls as um, Max Medina, who I never liked as a character. And so I'm like so tied to that per, that character. I mean, I don't dislike him. I just think he's a boring character and. And so it was it was really hard for me to take that off of Scott Cohen and put him into this, which is such a weird, it's such a huge, it's a very different role. On the flip side, I'm like, Lorelai, why didn't you marry Wolf? You had a chance to marry Wolf. And I'm like, no, no. Because Max Medina is nowhere as in, near as interesting as Wolf. So Wolf is kind of creepy, but like in an endearing way, which I feel weird things about. Well, yeah, and I also think that comes to like... That's something rewatching it now that's kind of like frustrating because yeah. I think in our current culture, the kind of like fanatic love, obsessive love yeah. Wolf has for Virginia would not fly. It's super uncomfortable. And it's upsetting and it's very and much it's like predatory at it's times. Yeah, it's predatory he's and it's a wolf. <laughs> it's very much like the the guy who just focuses on the girl enough eventually she'll give in. Yeah. Which like Which is a bad message. Is is not a good lesson. No. And and mm. It, it is hard for me to say that because I love Wolf and I think he's the best. That's it. There are some things that don't hold up. Yeah. Mm-mm. No, not everything can hold up perfectly. And and granted, he does do like some heroic things that have nothing to do with Virginia that kind of make the character a little more like charming and likable and less creepy and all that stuff. I do appreciate that Wolf like starts off, you know, uh, uh, hunting the dog and it sort of in his first encounter with... Virginia and her family like tries to eat her grandmother because <laughs> you know, he's like the big bad wolf character. Yeah, uh, and that's sort of his. He starts off as kind of a villain, not really, but you know he's not really positioned as a hero at the mm-hmm. beginning. But his sort of his little mini redemption arc he goes on like before he, you know, in the end ends up you know spoiler alert I'm engaged in- to Virginia. Involves him actually, like, going to a therapist and, like, going through, like, a very uh, intense therapy session. And he spends, like, a, he spends a lot of the series, like, reading through a whole stack of self-help books that he found in New York City. I forgot I, about that part. I just appreciate it, like, a self-improvement arc that takes it so literally. <laughs> um, that being said, it's not a good message. No. But, I mean, Sarah, I, I appreciate, you know, it must be hard for you to, to, to face that. Yeah, because I know, like... Because Wolf, I know, was very influential to you i mean it's it's one of those fundamental like this is determined what i find attractive in people kind of characters which i think everyone has those from their like childhood that they're like oh this character that character also dharma and greg from dharma and greg (laughs) kelsey now you do one my those characters yeah um i mean veronica mars is huge but that's not even childhood oh i'd have to think go younger go younger Go deeper. Think middle school. Go deeper. What was I watching in middle school? Not the Tenth Kingdom, apparently, but it was not. The now Tenth you've Kingdom. seen it, so I we're was good. watching like musty TV in middle school. I will reiterate: I did not have cable as a child, so something's on NBC on Sunday nights. Probably gonna be watching it. What was on? We're gonna come back to this. Okay, <laughs> Jason, do you know yours? Uh, yeah, the computer lady from Ape Escape One. 
Um, Shocking. What, what is Ape Escape 1? Moving on. So Sarah, <laughs> Jason. Did you have a like... Jason. A, a fascination with the Grimm's Fairy Tales Jason. before this? Or do you know? Um, Jason, you don't get to skip this. I want to know what Ape Escape 1 is. Ape Escape was a video game series on the PlayStation and PlayStation 2 gaming consoles where you play a spiky-haired, you know, anime-style teen who is trying to recapture a bunch of uh, monkeys that have escaped because their leader, Spencer, has gotten access to a uh, a helmet that increases the intelligence capacity of, of apes. And so he's led his ape subject in, in a full-on revolt of their human masters. <laughs> and the, one of the supporting cast members is a personification of the computer system that guides you along in your missions. And it was a lady with green hair. And she had basically no personality. <laughs> but she was like a, you know, basically like a cute little cartoon computer lady and i loved her and and now no one overthink jason and i's choice in spouses based on our interests <laughs> as children i think you're gonna find a lot there because wolf is like an animalistic like very like over the top intense character though you got some greg from dharma and greg in um you. and and the computer lady is not a real person but she has no personality and she's i guess would be uh, like a, a a passive just purely supportive character but anyway I don't actually know if I have an answer for this. It's okay. Wow, you're going to put me on blast and you don't even have an answer? I'm Rough. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Anyway, what were you trying to ask me before we dug into Ape <laughs> It was really important for me to know that, especially because he was avoiding talking about it. <laughs> Do you know if you had a fascination with fairy tale characters before this? Or was this, like you said, probably the impetus for your lifelong enjoyment of these kind of stories? I, I don't know. It might be a little of both, to be perfectly honest, because I like... Around the same time, I ended up being in Once Upon a Mattress, which is kind of a fun, like, fairy tale retailing sort of thing. Like, I was, I, in, I was in Once Upon a Mattress. Isn't it the best? Yeah. It's so good. I was a tap dancing girl. I was a, a dancing chorus member. Good job. <laughs> we did it. Spanish panic. So anyway, yeah. No, I, I think it's a little both because I've always loved fairy tales and, and retelling those stories and, and doing it in creative ways. I, I can't think of a time I didn't, which might mean it's the Tenth Kingdom, but... Speaking of, uh, I just thought about this, stories of this type, there are, well, there's one in particular uh, popular franchise that is sort of, uh, follows a, not a similar like plot or construction or anything, but has maybe, you might say, a similar tone as this series. I feel like you're setting me up for something. Uh, It's called Once Upon a Time. (laughs) Oh yeah, let's talk about it. Um, So... You and I watched the pilot for Once Upon a Time because it's when I worked at an ad agency that bought commercials. So we got DVDs of every single pilot coming out that season. Uh, those were the I salad days. I watched the whole first season of Once Upon a Time. I watched almost the whole first season. Mm-hmm. Like I really enjoyed the pilot. And what I weird after that. Well, I think what <laughs> frustrated me about Once Upon a Time and why I kind of give up on it is because they didn't try to like stick to a frame or concept like it's like oh yeah let's just throw in aladdin because disney owns abc and disney owns these properties and to me that's not like cohesive storytelling for me what did it is like okay so you watch most of the whole first season yeah at the end of the first season they break the curse spoiler alert yeah which i'm like this is boring if you've resolved the whole situation because what i found fascinating was like these fairy tale characters who didn't know they were fairy tale characters and I like I liked seeing what their like analogous jobs and stuff were in this like real world thing, and I thought that was very cool. And then they just stopped that at the end of season one, and I don't know what happened after that. But I, based on my Tumblr 
it got weird. (laughs) And I mean, like, in the Tenth Kingdom, they don't entirely stick to, like, just grim fairy tales. Like, Bo Peep is a part of this universe, which, like, I don't think Bo Peep is a grim fairy tale. Pretty sure that's not the case. It's a nursery rhyme. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but, uh, But I just like the way, like, the Tenth Kingdom stuck with that certain darkness um like i really love fable the graphic novel series because like it also has that darkness to it like it's taking those characters but like bringing them into a light that's showing what's kind of terrible about Mm -hmm. fairy tales yeah fables could easily be the version of the story that actually falls through on what the uh, um, opening title sequence seems to indicate yeah because fables is about a bunch of you know fairy tale characters living in within New York City of the, the present day and sort of recontextualizing them, them in that world. But, like, and getting to Bo Peep, that's another one of my favorite parts of the Tenth Kingdom, is they end up in this town full of farmers, <laughs> and it includes the Peep family, including uh, Sally Peep, played by Lucy Punch, which, like, to me, Lucy Punch has always been one of the greatest actresses ever, and I didn't realize that Lucy she was Lucy Punch is amazing. That she wasn't really an actress people knew, because most people did not see the 10th kingdom and don't really and don't know consume the same amount of like british comedy that i love her but like she's the best and like when she was on ben and kate i was like finally lucy punch is gonna get into like the modern zeitgeist and then that did not Ooh, happen not, not so much but i will continue so to root much. for lucy punch because she plays sally peep descendant of bo peep amazingly which also is, is is just one of the one of the things i really enjoy about the 10th kingdom is the way they structured it they would go from uh, parts of the Nine Kingdoms to other parts. So they would spend time in this world that's like the Bo Peep-verse, and then they go to another town called Kissing Town, which is like this romantic wonderland where the prince kissed Snow White and broke the spell. And um, they, they, they just adventure through all these parts of the world and then have little mini arcs. Lucy Punch isn't even one of the credited characters on the Wikipedia page. <gasps> that's upsetting. It's really upsetting. <laughs> anyway. I love Lucy Punch, and I was very pleasantly surprised to see her in this. Yeah, when when that part was coming up, I was like, oh, Kelsey's going to love this. <laughs> um, it was great. I love her a lot. Um, I thought there was... Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the structure of this a lot. What you were saying about, like, the darkness. I think, like, for me, the one thing that was a little rough is that it... It felt so dark at times and so lighthearted at others and I felt like tonally it wasn't very consistent um because it's like silly and fun and kind of hokey but then other times it's like really dark and I kind of wanted it to be one or the other it's to, to like to what you were saying in the notes Jason um like the end does kind of seem out of tone with the rest of the movie the Series. Is it is it time for us to talk about that? Yeah, and I just want to say before we um get into big old spoiler territory, spoiler to say spoiler, that like spoiler. I think also aside from this ending plot point we're about to discuss, the show as a whole does like have like some pretty dark moments, mm-hmm. like like a lot, a lot of misfortune befalls John Larroquette's character, mm-hmm. and like you know, and also uh, Kimberly as well, Tony and Kimberly. But Virginia, a lot of, Virginia. But, oh God, thank you. I was mixing. I mixed them all up. <laughs> oh no! But a lot of the situations that they're placed in are like genuinely like threatening and unsettling situations. But it's all played for broad comedy. And there's a lot of broad comedy. I don't mean broad in like a bad way. Just like a lot of like very very goofy, you know, slapsticky type humor is in this show. 
and it's so it's sort of like always up against like people getting you know murked or tortured or you know tony gets his teeth ripped out for basically no reason (laughs) i would kind of love to see the prestige 10th kingdom like the hbo's the 10th kingdom Oh, I, don't I mean, know. they're almost done with Game of Thrones. They need another high fantasy series, right? <laughs> well, they're just going to do like nine different Game of Thrones sequels. So, Well, guys, what is Westeros but the 11th Kingdom? There's seven kingdoms in Westeros. Yeah, that, that's, that's <laughs> kingdoms 11 through 18. <laughs> well, no, we've established the 11th Kingdom is Brooklyn. Have we where, established that? That's where my reboot is taking place, <laughs> but we'll get to this later. <laughs> if, it's a, if it's a reboot, how is it the 11th Kingdom? Is this a reboot a that sequel. takes into account the... Oh, well, so it's, it's, a assume, leg- it's also a assuming it's, it's by Burrow. So yeah. Manhattan <laughs> is the 10th Kingdom. Brooklyn is the 11th. That's why, that's why, that was a question I had about the Trolls Proclamation when they declared that New York is the 10th Kingdom. Are they speaking about Manhattan, the island, or New York City as a whole? Well, can we assume that the Trolls didn't actually know where they were, what the boundaries were? <laughs> that, that's what makes, I think, up for debate. Because they could be claiming just the like specific they could land be claiming all of Hell, america or they That's could true. just be or the claiming world. central park it's true I mean, do, we, do we know how large the, the kingdoms are the the first nine kingdoms they roughly? seem they seem relatively small like they walk through them. yeah they're able to travel through them yeah. pretty fast all things considered so it seems like i mean every kingdom's what about the size of connecticut like yeah. they're not huge <laughs> so the big thing we're gonna reveal do you want me to do it or do you, you, do it? you do it you do it so Please. Diane Weist is in this, which we haven't brought up at all, because yeah. Diane Weist plays the evil king, evil queen, excuse me. Um, that would be a twist. And they set up in they set up a lot in the beginning that like Virginia and Tony live just the two of them. Her mom vanished when she was a child. They don't really talk about it. They and don't she, know where she went. She left. Like she, she left. She, she chose just to gone. Leave. And clearly, like no one ever filed a missing persons. Like it was very much like. They all just assume, the grandmother even says, one of these days, your mother's just going to waltz back in as if she never left. And they set that up at the beginning, which Kelsey very astutely was like, the mom's going to be somewhere in those nine kingdoms. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we find out uh, towards the end that the evil queen is, in fact, Virginia's mom. <sighs> da, da, da. <laughs> and you also find out that the reason she's in these nine kingdoms is because she clearly struggled with some sort of depression or anxiety or mental illness we're not really clear on but she tried to murder virginia it's like this postpartum like manic it happens yeah um so she tries to drown virginia in a bathtub and which, then, which we see in a flashback by the way we yes. see yeah. the villain of this until now pretty goofy like fairytale riff talking about consistent holding, holding her tone. young daughter under the bathtub trying to drown her only failing to do so because Tony arrives home just in time. No, failing to do so because she has a moment where she's like, what am I doing? I'm murdering my daughter. And she leaves. She flees to Central Park in tears and then stumbles through the park and ends up at the other side of the mirror. And the evil queen is on the other side. Like, evil queen being uh, Snow White's evil queen Mm -hmm. is on the other side being like, come, come. I will help you. I will train you. I will make you better. Mm -hmm. And... So then you've you've got this set up where, like, Virginia's been told over and over again she needs to stop the evil queen. She finds out the evil queen is her mother, and she doesn't really want to kill her mother. And then Virginia ends up in the very end. Her mother is trying to strangle her. The evil the queen is trying to strangle her, and Virginia is able to scratch her with a poison comb and kill her. So, yeah. So, yeah, ends with parental murder. It's a bit dark. Matricide. Which, yeah, I just, it it's, didn't. It's a bit dark. It didn't. Well, 
Fit I, with the overall goofy tone of the whole thing. But at the same time, and I've been arguing with Jason about this already. For years now. Um, <laughs> the grim fairy tales are really dark. And the Tenth Kingdom as a show leans into that. Like yeah, they but talk all the way about through. they talk about like the, the red hot slippers that the capital E and Q evil queen, yeah. which is how I'm gonna refer to Snow White's evil queen from now on, <laughs> had to put on and dance in at Snow White's wedding, which is so messed up. Yeah. Like I'm getting married. I'm going to make the person I hate most of all who tried to kill me dance in these iron slippers in front of all of our wedding guests. and then Red hot iron slippers. Red hot iron slippers. And then banish her to the swamp rather than just, like, imprisoning her or, like, I don't know, just, like, killing her quickly. No, the, the Grimm's fairy tales are really dark, and they're, but they're, they're consistently dark. My problem is with the tonal shift. Is that like parts of it are so so goofy but, like, and, and played for broad comedy? But those but those fairy tales are magical and they have a sense of whimsy and like they're just kind of like dark in the end. And so if you think about it that way, it's playing out a similar structure. I think it maybe would work better. I don't know. I think it would work better as like darker comedy than you just like, want it to be on HBO. I do. I want <laughs> I want prestige Tenth Kingdom. I need that Goblin King to say the c word. <laughs> or else I can't take this show seriously. <laughs> oh gosh, uh, Sarah, to your point, I think that, that that's a strong argument. I just think that that same structure applied to like a seven and a half hour ish series does not quite work as well. Yeah, like you can't have. I mean, it isn't you know psychological realism is not a term we use often to discuss the Tenth Kingdom, <laughs> but there is like a intensity of seeing like this woman in like the real world like trying to murder her child. I and having that conflict play out again in this fantasy world is, I think, not. I'm having a hard time articulating this, but is not really comparable to like these short, self-contained Grimm's fairy tales that all took place in this faraway fantasy world, and didn't give you time to like get to know whether or identify with the characters. Really, it's, it's, a, it's a different form, I think. If I recall, that scene is also from Virginia's point of view, right? Like, isn't it? She like having a flashback to where there's, she's being. Strangled? There's multiple flashbacks. Like they they like show it in glimpses and pieces, and then she has. Oh, we haven't even dug into one of my other favorite scenes. Um, she has a, a a magic mushroom trip that like pulls her into like the whole thing again, which which brings me to I guess another like very impactful part of my personality, part of the Tenth Kingdom. There is a scene where Tony and Virginia are lost in this like swampy haunted forest and they end up at this like weird island in the middle of the swamp that's covered with all these singing mushrooms and they're singing Wider Shade of Pale which (laughs) my first exposure to Wider Shade of Pale was the Tenth Kingdom but it remains to this day one of my all-time favorite songs because I heard it in the Tenth Kingdom they the mushrooms sing Wider Shade of Pale to them and then tempt them into making magic mushroom omelets and then they trip and nearly die except to be saved by the wolf running in slow motion through the woods and that's when I'm like oh wolf's so fine the show is so good why doesn't everyone watch it all the time this may be a thing you've just answered but I will officially ask this question can you like find a single moment or scene or set piece or whatever that sort of exemplifies everything you love about this show well that's one of them I would say the others might be like um in peep town there's a shepherdess competition that involves a parody of we will rock you that I'm particularly fond of I and I just I just generally like like the magical journey they go on 
like I it's I I should even like pull up if you want to check my Twitter when Kelsey and I binged this I tweeted about it the entire time Um, Sarah looks so happy and it's the most adorable (laughs) thing ever you can like see the moments where I'm like oh this is so good and it's just it every part of it is so good like it's hard for me I I I was there's another scene where they're trying to get into the castle during Prince Swindle's coronation to save everyone and like they have to argue with this frog and Virginia and Tony have like lost it like they are so done with the terrible rules of this magical world that tony just takes this frog that's trying to get them to pick a a door one leads to death one leads to the castle tony just takes the frog throws it into one of the doors and that door has an explosion behind it when the frog lands so now they know (laughs) that was the death door and there's just it's just it's so good that that moment's really great because it's it's the thing you've wanted to see happen in every single moment of every single film like that. I wanted more moments like that. It's, it's like if John Larroquette showed up to the labyrinth in Labyrinth, <laughs> having already gone through like four movies worth of shit. <laughs> I was just like, no, no. <laughs> There's also um, like what really pulls me into it when I realize like I'm not going to be able to stop watching this and like put it down. I'm going to have to finish it. Is when um. Virginia gets cursed by some gypsies for her hair to grow really long and they have to like face the consequences of that and it's when you're truly like oh we're in the magic now and that's that's when I get to the point where I'm just like I have to watch every every single part of this and it's going to be the best thing ever this is my comfort food movie when I like or series when I am sick like this is the thing I want to put on and like just watch it actually I think traveler is the preferred nomenclature what Tra- Traveler is the We preferred. don't say gypsies on this podcast. Oh, do we not? Except we said it a bunch of times just now. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, I haven't said it yet. Well, I mean... That's what they call them in the movie, in, in the, the, in are, the, movie, in the fictional universe. They're identified in the show. <laughs> as gypsies. <laughs> they're not identified as Romanovs or... <laughs> what, <laughs> ro- what is it? Roman, Romani. Romani, thank yeah. you. Romanovs would be Anastasia, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a traveling band of Romanovs. <laughs> Just a bunch of Anastasia impersonators. Progenitors of the Black Widow line. If you could identify, what is your least favorite thing in this series? I think you both know. So uh, there's one point where Wolf buys an engagement ring to propose Virginia. Uh, And it is this uh, terrible, terrible, terrible singing ring. I blocked it out. That has like this awful condescending lilt that it sings with. And... um, and, uh, oh, it's just the worst thing ever. And at the very end, spoiler alert, Wolf and Virginia have sex um, in the woods before the final climax of the movie, the show. And so at the very hey, Sarah. Nice. <laughs> and, and so at the very end, there's a victory banquet because, spoiler alert, Everything ends up okay. Well, I mean, a girl has to kill her mom. But okay, yeah. After reliving her basic childhood trauma, there's yeah. there's some residual trauma. Um, but they're having a, like a victory banquet, and she ends up engaged. And to a she ends up man. she she's eating a fish that happened to swallow the engagement ring that was thrown in a river when she denied Wolf's proposal the first time, and the, she puts on the ring, and the ring sings. There's no doubt and there's no maybe. The three of us are having a baby, which has so many layers of creepy. First off, Ring, you are not a part of this. A lot of assumptions being made by this ring. (laughs) 
And and once again, just that song, like I feel like I'm even singing it. I'm not really emphasizing how creepy and it's terrible so creepy. it is. It's so creepy. I forgot that she ends up pregnant. That is not a thing that I like. <laughs> well, it's like I honestly I don't mind that she's pregnant. She seems to be cool and They've on board. They've known each with other it. for like three days. Well, no, but like the fact <laughs> that Virginia isn't like upset about it when she finds out is like okay, like she's cool with it. I'm gonna respect her choices. She did a whole movie about it. Um. But, like, the ring itself is the most terrible thing. It's so bad. And it's, like, one of the last moments of the entire series, too, is that awful ring. Gets to come back. Like, I was Ugh. so happy when that thing got swallowed by a fish <laughs> that I was like, oh, it's gone. Thank goodness, because that was so annoying. And then it was back. I hope he got her a new ring. I hope so, too. I hope when they got to New York, she got something tasteful from the Diamond District. Uh, Conflict-free, of course. They're probably not from the Diamond District. Yeah. Right. <laughs> They're not from the Diamond District. <laughs> Brilliant Earth was not a thing in 2000. <laughs> the one thing I always have with fairy tales is that, like, people end up engaged or married or whatever at the end. And I'm like, you've known each other three days. Like, can you not? Can you not? I mean, well, like, that's also, like, musicals. Yeah. And, and Shakespearean comedies. Like, it's it's a trope for, what, hundreds and hundreds well, those, and hundreds. Those are, those, those are things of... that also have problematic elements too oh, yeah i was kind of hoping for the subversion of that trope in this yeah well they aren't married she's just pregnant that's a good point they are not married <laughs> i hope they live in sin for the rest of their lives <laughs> and uh, this might be a good segue into your pitch for the 11th my, kingdom my pitch for the 11th kingdom i mean i just i feel like this is ripe for a reboot slash sequel a la you know everything that's getting a reboot slash sequel nowadays and, like, Scott Cohen and Kimberly Williams aren't doing anything, right? <laughs> not really. <laughs> Probably not, no. Wait, but can, you, can but get, you had, like, can details. I, can I get some more detail on this pitch? Yeah. I did. Okay, so so Wolf and Virginia live in Park Slope. They moved They moved to Brooklyn um, shortly after this. I mean, maybe not Park Slope if they moved in 2000, but I think they could make it happen. Because <laughs> she's a waitress. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what you're saying is they live in Bay Ridge. They probably yeah, they probably live in Bay Ridge. Maybe Kensington. Maybe they live in Kensington. <laughs> I would I would assume that they could uh, reenact the the path that the series p- proposes that the uh, Grimm brothers went through, where they but we found out the brothers Grimm existed in this world or traveled to these kingdoms. Mm-hmm. So all the stories are true. All the stories are based on their adventures there. I assume she would have you know found a, found a way to spun the things she become saw. Become a children's book writer. Become a children's book writer. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's more of a future for them than just waitress and uh so, wolf person what, virginia and the murderous mom <laughs> uh that's, that's a strong like third or fourth book wolf and the wayward shepherdess <laughs> <laughs> is that an erotic novel <laughs> it's up to you maybe they write maybe they write children's books together maybe he's a very adept artist and he illustrates them there's no way if or wolf is writing Vesa. he's not writing erotic literature <laughs> Because he's thirsty. Maybe he's maybe 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 the character so defined by his hunger, Wolf is indeed thirsty. (laughs) Maybe he's a chef. Maybe there's a series of cookbooks and it's all about eating raw. And he starts like another version of paleo that's like the raw diet. (laughs) That feels about on on level with the the type of humor that I would expect from a Tenth Kingdom reboot in twenty seventeen. Yeah, okay, so so Park Slope. They could probably do Park Slope. Uh, Wolf has a restaurant. (laughs) They have I would think at least two kids, maybe three. Um, and somehow the, um, I'm going to say that something happens and someone comes and kidnaps them and their kids have to go back to the Nine Kingdoms to save them. 
Oh, so the kidnapping is of Virginia and Wolf. Yes. And the kids have to go on an adventure. Yeah, and maybe if John Larroquette's around, he can... Help them. Help them. Oh, he's, he's around. He stayed in the Nine Kingdoms, Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. Because remember, he's wanted for armed robbery, resisting <laughs> arrest. Like, right. I'm not going to explain the plot of how all those things happen. You need to watch it. Yeah. And I just, I think the one thing I would have to work out is whether or not Wolf and Virginia have told their kids, like if their kids know about the Nine Kingdoms. I mean, I feel like they have to because their dad has a tail. <laughs> That's true. And you can't really are they hide half, are that. Are the kids half wolf? Are yeah, they a quarter wolf? they're a quarter wolf. <laughs> well, to be fair, Wolf himself seems maybe at most like a third wolf. No, yeah. he's, he's half wolf. He can't transform, though. He doesn't have to transform. He does go crazy, though, and eat a bunch of chickens. I feel like there's so many good plot nuggets we can't really dig into because this thing is six and a half hours long. I just, I'm going to reiterate again. Please, yeah. if you care about me that's, that's I, or strong, imagination. That's a, that's a strong pitch for... Uh, the the eleventh kingdom. kingdom. Yeah, I think yeah, and it, it and it's like they are we we cut between their hijinks, getting to their parents, and then Wolf and, and Virginia trying to escape. Yeah, and I would assume that the kids have not been to the Nine Kingdoms for some reason. Like maybe their parents are wanted there or something. Maybe there something happened and there was like a revolution or something, and they can't go back. I feel like you accidentally described the plot. And progress of the first series of unfortunate events on Netflix. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a good tone to shoot for. Yeah, that would be the tone I would I would go for. Yeah. 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 Um, we can get yeah. Neil Patrick Harris for this. Definitely. <laughs> he, if- he can be the new villain. He can be the, the I don't know the the frog king or the elf the elf magician or whatever he wants to play. <laughs> as long as he gets to sing and dance, he'll be happy. Um. Yeah, so, I mean, one of their kids is obviously going to be, assuming this happens in the next year, at least 18. Mm-hmm. Maybe, like, they have to go back because he's he or she is coming of age or something. I, my, my, my pitch is that they have not, their kids have not been to the Nine Kingdoms before, and then yeah. they get kidnapped and they have to go save them. So I think it could work. So it's 25 years later. Okay. And John Larroquette has finally escaped from the Nine Kingdoms. <laughs> but the problem is the, the the process of escaping into the into the real world again has left him uh, functionally like an adult toddler. So he sort of stumbles around having wacky misadventures and repeating the same few words over and over again. But the evil John Larroquette is out there now, though. Oh. He's running around causing all sorts of trouble. It's just the Twin Peaks. Uh, uh, I like you better. Meanwhile, Kelsey. there's 20 new characters you've never met before in Nevada, and you can see what they're up to. Let me, let me tell you this: whatever they're doing, they're doing it pretty slow. Is that your ringing endorsement for the Twin Peaks reboot? Uh, no, this is my totally original idea for the Eleventh Kingdom. But TM, my, TM, TM. My my only requirement is that CRJ sings the cover of uh, "Wishing on a Star." Wishing on a Star, yeah. And it's like a it's like a kind of dance remix. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's my pitch. I don't know who's in it. I don't know who the kids are. Probably somebody from the Descendants. <laughs> <laughs> someone, someone terrible. I mean, let's be honest. The kids are going to be cast with actors you don't like. Probably. Yeah. Well, I would hope actors you don't know. Let's yeah. get a bunch of very talented unknowns in there. Let's like, see what they can do. Is it going to be on NBC again? Are we going to go to the Disney Channel for this? I mean, we're going to have to go to digital streaming. There's yeah. no way any of them. This feels like a Netflix series. This feels like a, this feels like a Netflix, maybe a Crackle. Crackle. <laughs> maybe a Crackle series. Jason's <laughs> perpetual pitch for Crackle series. <laughs> Look, let, just let me in, Crackle. I can do so much for you. 
I know you, you got Get Shorty right now. That's not going to last forever. That's on Crackle? Yeah. Along with Snatch the There's TV people show. people in that. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> There's like real actors in that. Yeah, well, Chris O'Dowd, whose last big TV break, I think, was Moon Boy. Was that the thing where he like saw an imaginary? Yeah. That was on Hulu though, and they just won a bunch of Emmys. <laughs> not for Moon Boy. Yeah, that's the other thing I should be like. If you have not watched The Handmaid's Tale, watch The Handmaid's Tale. But yeah, anyway, that's my pitch for the Eleventh Kingdom. I think it'd be really good if you guys want me to write it. Somebody fund it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Let's make it happen. Mostly, I think this is a concept that has so much potential, but it didn't quite hit what I wanted it to. And maybe in 2000, I would have loved it. Oh, so we're getting to the summary of how you guys feel about it. Well, All right, yeah, this continue. Yeah, I feel about it, I guess. It didn't quite get where I wanted it to, like, today. But I think if I had watched it in 2000, I probably would have liked it a lot. Because I also love a good fairy tale mashup. Yeah. Would you say you liked it now, just not as much as you Yeah, no, have? I liked it. Okay. I just felt it lacking in some places. Or, like, the, the tonal shift was a lot for me. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... Because uh, I feel like it, it honestly, it explains why, and I feel like you are constantly frustrated with me about this. I say I don't like sad things, and then I watch these, like, terribly dark and awful, like, pieces of entertainment and say they're amazing. You're you're a lot better about that than you used to be, but yeah, they used to be a sense of, source of frustration for me. Because I'd be like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like sad things. And then I would watch, like, three hours of a terribly dark film. They would say that one of your favorite songs is Cats in the Cradle. <laughs> Things like that. Like, I feel like the Tenth Kingdom is the encapsulation of, like, those kinds of tone shifts. And it's so just the kind of person I am. (laughs) I think I'm also, like, I if it's something that's going to be, like, sad and dark, I want the whole thing to be that way. I don't know. Well, I mean, there's the, you can have comedy that enhances tragedy and vice versa. Look at a aforementioned favorite of, of, of myself, Bojack Horseman. Yeah. Which obviously is working in a, in a whole different like you know form and and uh, you know this type of story than this one is, but still like you know you can have the goofy you know even sometimes like obnoxiously like punny humor and still like have that like tragedy land, but it just all needs to feel like it's of a piece and that's and I I like to think of them a lot like it's it's very charming. I don't think I would have ever, ever, ever come to it if it had not been for you, Sarah. But I, I'm, I'm glad to have seen it. Not, and not just because it shows me a part of who you are. But it's, it's a genuinely fun thing. And, I just, and that, that sort of tonal issue um, throughout, throughout the piece, but it, it, really the ending is what really throws me off. That's my one problem with it. I get that. I also like it a lot. Yeah. yeah and I think especially if I had watched it when I was 10, I would have probably enjoyed it in fact i think i might have watched like at least an episode but because like the first episode felt really familiar to me but i was like maybe i just like saw commercials for it or something and well you guys all know how i stand on this it's the best thing ever and everyone should watch (laughs) (laughs) be be careful i kind of want to write my pitch for the 11th kingdom (laughs) just just write a spec script just do it you should just we should be careful what we say on this episode because the last two episodes we've done with the three of us have, as we've at some Imploded. point, we've at some point said a thing that has seemed horribly dated, like mere weeks or months later. What was the first one? The first one was uh, recorded right before the election, so there was a lot of uh, haha jokey jokes about how you know obviously things are going to go this way. Uh, <laughs> and then we did the Bachelor. Then we did the Bachelor. Then we did the Bachelor, and the Bachelor got super rapey. So <laughs> let's find out how the Tenth Kingdom is ruined after this episode. <laughs> We're ruining things all over the place in every way you can ruin things. Up to and including your life. Da-da-da-da-da-da.
Special thanks to Danny About of the Weeping Willards for use of their song Outside in the Rain from their album The Weeping Willards, available now on Bandcamp. And special thanks to Carly Sussman, who designed our logo. You can find her work at uh, carly-rose.com. If you have the, just a moment to you know, take a second out of your busy day to review us and rate us, that'd be great. We'd appreciate that. We on iTunes. That. On iTunes. On iTunes. Sarah, do you have anything you want to plug? Watch the Tenth Kingdom, please. For the love of God, <laughs> watch the Tenth really Kingdom. really wants everyone to watch the Tenth Kingdom. Sarah's starting a new religion, and which <laughs> the only requirement is that you have watched and loved the Tenth Kingdom. The real Tenth Kingdom is, is within. <laughs> you are the Tenth Kingdom. Believe. There's no doubt, and there's no maybe. No. Happy holidays. The, wait. <laughs> wait, do we still say happy holidays? I forgot what we closed with last that, time. That's the last time we said happy Carly days. This time, this time, can we just end with deuces? We try, we, so you want to try a new outro? <laughs> I'm trying to think of a Tenth Kingdom-y outro. I don't think it's deuces. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm trying to think of one. Oh, you know what we should end with? At last. I am a complete idiot. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> they wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up. Can't let them get to me. And even though I always fuck my life up, only I can mention me. They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up. Can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up Only I can mention me Only I can mention me Only I can mention me How I long to linger On your sweetheart's finger Tis a singing ring, sir a singing ring. I'll take it. It's yours. Okay. For the paltry sum of 7,000. <gasps> 7,000? I will laugh and chuckle <laughs> on your girlie's knuckle. Oh, this is going to be the happiest day of my life. <laughs> I will never fidget. Jammed upon her. You'll spoil the surprise. Be quiet. I'll be sweet and fresh. Wrapped around her flesh.